1: Your destination for all aspects of Elder Dragon Highlander. Enjoy your stay.
2: Oh, the weather outside
3: is frightful, and these cards are so delightful. Since we know a place to
2: go, let it snow, let it snow, let it snow magic cards all over us. That'd be amazing! That would be amazing! It's snowed in LA! It's all magic cards! <laughs> What's up, everyone? You're watching slash listening to the Command Zone Podcast. I'm when your host, Jimmy Wong. How's it? It's Josh Lee Kwai.
3: So, uh, today we have a cool topic. We're gonna sit down with a b- bunch of members of our
2: uh, Command Zone team Woo-hoo! and talk about the cards we loved from this year. Yeah, we're bringing in some positivity for the holiday season. We always uh, talk about cards uh, oh, this is not good enough, but there were a bunch of cards that were good enough
3: yeah you know wizards (laughs) is releasing so much product you know the the most this year of any year ever 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 yeah and i think it can be easy to kind of get lost and forget about some of the really cool Mm -hmm. stuff that came out so i think as we were talking to all our team members about this spoiler alert we already recorded a lot of that part (laughs) um you know they kept mentioning cards and in my brain i was like oh yeah i kind of forgot about that card yeah also we do our set reviews but we don't get a good opportunity all the time on our show to come back and kind of revisit our thoughts. And now we've seen a lot of these cards in action for, you know, multiple months. We've actually played across from them. So to sort of, take the temperature again and sort of say well, were we right because reading the cards one thing but seeing it in play is another right
2: yeah and not to mention we sometimes even talk about some of the cards we've been pairing down our set reviews so this is a great chance to also hear from our teammates it's amazing to see because everyone has different play styles as well and we want to be representative of the entire commander community so hopefully we can get a sliver of that with this episode
3: yeah there are definitely a lot of cool cards to talk about but first before we get into it we have to talk about our sponsors channelfireball.com slash command that's our affiliate link Yes, of course, you're going to buy magic cards. Mm-hmm. If you're still buying presents for people over the holidays, you've messed up because there's only a couple <laughs> days until uh, it's all over. Yeah, I think the it's all over. Yeah. <laughs> uh, But there's something cool going on that we want to talk about, something we've never done before. At the time you're watching this, the holiday episode of Game Nights has already released. Nice. And um, on that episode... If you haven't
2: seen... This isn't a spoiler. We're playing, like, very fancy decks. Yeah, blinged-out decks. There's a masterpiece deck. There's decks with just mystic... uh, 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 Sorry, secret layers, And there's all sorts of crazy frames and borderless decks. There's... Some of the craziest looking decks we've ever played on the show, for sure. Yeah,
3: we set ourselves this um, this uh, stipulation that we had to have like very fancy, we called it Blingmas, yeah. very fancy decks. So every card in every deck is a special version of a card. There's no like regular versions. So anyway, Channel Fireball actually supplied those decks to us to play with. And then they're doing a cool thing where they have started some eBay auctions where mm-hmm. you can uh, try and and enter to to win the entire decks that we played on the episode. Holy moly. And all the proceeds are actually going to charity. They're going to a charity called No Kid Hungry, which is dedicated to helping to solve, you know, hunger issues, uh, mm-hmm. childhood hunger issues in the United States. So it's a really cool thing that Channel Fireball is doing, but it also allows you to maybe get your hands on like the masterpiece deck that oh Aaron gosh. from Game Grumps played on the episode. And there are like a ton of masterpieces in that deck. Like it's yeah. one of the most beautiful decks you've ever seen.
2: All of the decks are absolutely gorgeous, and you could have a chance to win them. We'll have all All of those details, of course, in the show notes. And the best part is the proceeds are going to a great cause, ending childhood hunger in the United States. So you know you're donating to something amazing while you're doing it. You also might just walk away with one of the best looking decks in the history of the game.
3: We should say they're doing it through an eBay auction. So we're saying win, but you will have to bid to try and get the deck. It's not like a randomly chosen thing. But all those links, again, will be in the show notes. Uh, And then, of course, if you happen to um, win the auction for one of those decks, you're going to want to protect those cards. Every single one of them. Yeah, for sure. And the best way to protect all of your game pieces is with Ultra Pro products. They really do make the best stuff to protect your stuff. Uh, They make the Eclipse sleeves. They make all the Satin Tower deck boxes. You can see on the episode, we use the Satin Towers. We were very careful with these decks, of course, because they're some of the most valuable decks we've ever played on the show.
2: I saw this uh, clip of someone that run over their Satin Tower deck box, and they're like, thank goodness, because their deck was completely protected. And and the, the deck box was crunched up, but that thing holds up. So we, of course, trust Ultra Pro to protect our game pieces, too. Yeah, and they also make the most awesome
3: stuff uh, this time of year, of course. A great gift that you might give somebody if you're a little behind uh, the eight ball on gifts is like if you know they're playing an Olivia deck, buying them the Olivia playmat, Mm -hmm. the Olivia sleeves, the Olivia deck box. That is a really cool thing to do. And I have a couple of decks that I've got all the pieces like that
2: for And every time I pull them out. Uh, You can guarantee the table is
3: going to be like, ooh, yeah. yeah."
2: And if you miss the Christmas deadline, it's a great New Year's present. New year, new me, new playmat, new deck box, new sleeves, you name it. You name it. (laughs)
3: Uh, And of course, there's a final way to support all of our content, which is directly if you go to patreon.com slash command zone. Now, patrons get all kinds of cool perks, one of which is watching Game Nights and Extra Turns earlier than the general public. Mm-hmm. We also shout out one lucky patron every Woo-hoo. single episode, and this episode is dedicated to, to
2: Sherry Luxton. Luxton. Yeah. Sherry, you rock. You do rock indeed. Okay, right.
3: yeah. move into it. Let's get into our main topic, which is um, the cards we love from this year, the favorite cards from very from. Not all of our team members, but a lot of our team members. We kind of asked individual ones, like, what's your favorite card this year? That way you don't just get Jimmy and my own perspective, because we tend to like... You know know I'm going to like the cards that draw your cards.
2: You know I'm going to like the cards that kill people with
3: damage. (laughs) (laughs) But there are many different kinds of Magic players, so it's fun to hear from everybody. One caveat before we get into it, uh, we want to to say that these are people's favorite cards from this year, not what we think is the best, quote unquote, or most powerful. Sometimes they may be, but not always.
2: Yeah, exactly. And Magic is all about what are your favorite cards, what are the most flavorful or fun. And so we're going to get a taste of that from all these team members. I can't wait. Yeah. All right, let's get into it. All right, you want to introduce yourself?
1: Hi, everybody. Uh, my name is Jordan Pritchett. I'm a writer-producer here on the channel. I make a lot of the ads and, and help write some of the, the fun little intros and stuff to Game Nights. And
3: things. Oh, yeah. You you did the, um, you and Jamie wrote the, what do we call it? The GPS, the car, of yeah. driving in the car, the vampire skit.
1: The how you got there. Yeah, yeah. Or didn't get there, I and guess. And I'm sure
3: you've seen Jordan on extra turns and things like that. So, Jordan, let's talk about your favorite card from this year. Do you want to read it?
1: Yeah, so my favorite card from this year is Keen Duelist, which was released in one of the uh, the precons in uh, the Strixhaven set that came out. And at, basically, Keen Duelist is a human wizard for one and a black, and at the beginning of your upkeep, you and target opponent each reveal the top card of your library. You each lose life equal to the mana value of the cards revealed by the other player, and then you each put the card you revealed into your hand. So it's kind of like a Dark Confidant in a weird way,
3: but for you and another player. It's interesting that you lose life equal to what their card was, and they lose life equal to what
1: your card was. Well, exactly. And that's why I love this card. Because, I mean, Bob is already a good card. Like, you'd love to have a Dark Confidant in your deck, but it's also, like, super expensive. This card is not. Um... Yeah, I believe it's somewhere around between 50 cents and a dollar. But here's, in my opinion, the really fun thing about uh, King Duelist. And this is why I've like, started putting it in all my black decks, because it's, it's like a little mini game. Like, this is an enormous flavor win. Like, the idea is that, oh, you're dueling wizards in Strixhaven. But the way this plays out, and the way I always like, make people play it when we do it, is I'm someone like, I always go, okay, who wants to duel? <laughs> and then we'll both say, okay, three two, one, and both flip the cards that we get, and it'll be like, oh, I got seven. Oh, no, come on.
3: Do you only play this in decks that have, like, high CMC
1: on average, or do you not care about that when you play it? I think that it would be great to play that in a deck that has a high CMC on average, but I don't think it's, like, that That big of a deal, you know? I mean, I think... This has the same sort of utility as something like a Phyrexian Arena because it just gets you an extra card every turn, but it also comes down to turn earlier than Phyrexian Arena most of the time. Uh, And people like this. Like, if you have ever played with this, people will fight to be the one who you are choosing to do, do the duel with. It's a great way to get like, an extra card. Exactly. Yeah. You get a like fun little bit of political favor out of the whole thing. Nobody feels bad if they do take a bunch of damage off of that top card and you usually can kind of like read the room and figure out which is going to be the deck that's going to have like the high CMC stuff. Like, yeah, if you're playing with an Eldrazi player on the other side of don't the board... Don't pick them. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to take you're gonna get, nine. <laughs> you're going to get Kozilek and it's going to wreck you. <laughs>
3: uh, I liked the fact that the Keen Duelist... Allows you to pick a different person every upkeep, Mm -hmm. too. So you don't have to like pick the same person over and over. So you can kind of see how the game's going, too. So, yeah. I'd say a a high percentage of commander games at some point within the game is an archenemy situation. Like Almost no commander games. There's not a a player that pulls far enough in the lead that the other three kind of have to team up at some point. Right. And so this also is useful in all those games where you're like, hey, we need an answer. I'll help you draw one.
1: And if you draw it, you'll
3: use it against them.
1: Right? Deal? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and... Just in a pure fun standpoint, if someone is kind of falling behind, this is a great Mm. way to bring them up a little bit.
3: Yeah, oh, they're missing their land drops. I can maybe help you get some land drops and get in the game,
1: and it'll be more fun for everybody. Yeah, and you cull a little bit of favor with them as well. Mechanically, there are definitely ways to, like, bust this card a little bit, too. You know, if you're using, like, scroll racks or Sensei's Divining Tops and stuff, you can make sure that you have something on top of your deck. But from my experience, like, that's not something that you need. If you Uh, have it, it'll just be better, but yeah. yeah. And anything that doubles the amount of cards you're
3: going to draw or whatever, oh no, this is put it into your hand so that you don't actually draw that card. Yeah, it's
1: not actually a draw, which can Mm -hmm. matter.
3: Maybe it gets around the Nekusars and the things like that. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly.
1: If someone has a Consecrated Sphinx on the board, (laughs) it does not draw them a whole boatload of cards going on there. Yeah,
3: that could be good too. This is a cool one. It's a very Jordan card. I know you like political stuff.
1: I love political stuff. I, I love things that like have little interactions and fun like that. And it also just like, I think it's a testament to how amazing and cool and fascinating magic the gathering and commander is it a game that you can have little mini games within the game you know yeah there are cards like goblin game like keen duelist all these uh and like wheel of misfortune and stuff right there's the coin flippy one too yeah 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 so and that's fun it's like
3: hold on real quick we're gonna do this little thing someone's gonna take some damage and we'll continue with the game yeah very cool very cool thank you all right and now i'm here with lady danger hi Lady Danger is uh, one of our editors here at the Command Zone and uh, moving into an art director role.
4: I'm very excited.
3: So you're responsible for the cool set that yeah. we have in, and all the cool sets you uh, see yeah, on all, all of, of our stuff.
4: Yeah, all the cool sets you've seen since like haven.
3: Speaking of Strixhaven. Yeah. Wow. Good segue. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Your favorite card is from Strixhaven. Yes. Do you want to read it?
4: Yeah. So my favorite card is Culling Ritual. It's two, a black and a green sorcery. Destroy each non-land permanent with mana value two or less. Add black or green for each permanent destroyed this way.
3: I gotta be honest, I have been hosed by this card many times since Trick Save it yeah. came out. Um, yeah, it always seems to destroy, like, I don't know, feels like 50 things off my board every time.
4: I think it's a sleeper card. I think, like, it came out, everybody got hyped about it, and then everybody has since forgotten about it. I haven't forgotten. And I mean, to no surprise, I've picked a Bloom Gulgari <laughs> card. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually
3: true, I didn't even think about that.
4: But it's actually so, so, so good. So you can utilize it early game if you're, like, everybody's kind of ahead of you and they're playing Mana Rocks and they've got their Signets out and you're like, oh, well, I don't really have it, but you've you got just enough mana to play it and you just destroy everybody else's stuff and then you get to put about a big banger out in, when with all of the mana that you gain from it.
3: Yeah, the mana you gain, I think, is a part that about the card that's easy to miss. Mm-hmm. And it's, it sort of harkens a little bit to me in my mind to, like, Vandal Blast, but often it takes your whole turn to Vandal Blast, and so if there's only two or three things to get, you don't often want to cast Vandal Blast because it's like, I'm going to spend my whole turn, yes, I'll destroy three things, but it just d- feels like then I do nothing, and then I pass the turn, and they get to repopulate the board before yeah. I do. Whereas Calling Rituals often, like, destroy, like, three or four things, mm-hmm. but then it's almost like it was free because I get all that mana back.
4: Exactly. You get to utilize that em- mana immediately, and, like, I play my Corvold deck. Everybody knows my Corvold deck here. It's, not, do all know it. yep. <laughs> it's not broken, but a card like this in mid game where I've populated a ton of tokens out and I can use them as sack fodder. So I automatically get a benefit from that plus destroy everybody else's stuff. And while you're not going to get their big cards, you are possibly going to get pieces of like stacks pieces and things like that, which can really slow somebody down. And nine times out of 10, if you put this down and you resolve it and you get a good chunk of you're probably going to win the game it the other really cool thing is it's great in other formats like it's good in commander but you can also use it in like modern or pioneer and it was even good in standard
3: yeah because in those formats there's actually a lot of most things are two uh mana value or less yeah. almost at cmc uh i like what you said there and actually in Corvald, i could see situations where you don't even sack your stuff because you're just like i i get a mana per thing that mm-hmm. dies so it turns into a phyrexian uh, altar almost uh and then you just go straight into like a torment of hellfire. I've had this happen to me where oh, Everybody's yes. like, boom, <laughs> kill everything, get 30 mana, torment of hellfire. And also, all the stuff got destroyed, so you don't have anything to like sacrifice you to the torment of hellfire. So you're just done. I also like that it's in green. Because one of the things that hurts the most when you get Culling Ritualed is it takes all your mana rocks. Yes. So all the Signets are gone, the Soul Rings are gone, everything like that. So it can set you all your ramp back. But because you're playing green by definition if you have this card in your deck, yeah. a lot of your ramp is lands. Yeah, so you, you don't have to worry about it. Yeah, so you're like, oh, I stacked my Secure Tribe and I played a Rampant Growth and into a Cultivate into this. And so I get to keep my advantage because that was all in lands. Yes. And all you spent your turns like going like, you know, arcane signet into is it signet or whatever yeah. and it's like nope now you're just back you know you're you're set two turns behind but i'm still cool
4: it's it's i like i love that about it and like you pointed out it is green so like you're not really losing too much and like let's remember it will also destroy your things yeah. that are too so you know be careful when you are playing it but i mean if you're playing against any kind of token deck because you have to think like like tokens, they're nothing. They're yep. they're gonna be destroyed. You're gonna hose anything that's like goblins, which you know they just populate so much. and yep. just boom, done, out of here, game over. Sorry, not sorry. <laughs>
3: <laughs> that's how I would define playing against Lady Danger. Actually, yeah. sorry, not sorry. <laughs> All right, really good pick, Culling Ritual. Take a look at it if you're not already playing it in your decks.
4: Oh, and it's cheap. It's only like three bucks, so you should pick it up. Channelfireball.com/slash/command.
3: <laughs> <laughs> good, good plug. <laughs>
5: Okay, do you want to introduce yourself just before we begin here? Hey, everyone. I'm Murph. You've probably seen me around here before. I'm an editor on Game Nights, Extra Turns. Been around the block, been here for a little bit. So Murph is also our resident hipster,
3: uh, likes to play sort of off-the-beaten-path cards. And you're not going to disappoint this time, Murph. Of all the cards I think that everyone's going to talk about, this is maybe the only one I actually have not
5: seen in play since, really? since the set review. That means you haven't played against me enough. Uh, yeah, I guess not. Are you playing this card a lot? Uh, I haven't been playing it a lot, but I slotted it into a deck. Of course, the Dakon deck. The Dakon deck. Which is your Esper Lands deck. Uh, So yeah, without further ado, you want to talk about your, or just let everyone know what the card is we're talking about? Yeah. So the card is Dakon Shadow Slayer. It's three mana, a white, a blue, and a black. It's a Planeswalker. Comes into play with the amount of loyalty counters equal to the amount of lands you have. You can plus one to surveil two, minus three to exile a creature, and you can minus six to put an artifact card from your hand or graveyard onto the battlefield.
3: All right, so why is this your favorite card of 2021?
5: Well, first of all, I love the flavor. I love Dakon as a character. I have a whole deck built around it and just love it. So the second I saw this card, I knew I had to play it. Dakon Blackblade was Dacon the Dacon first rare that I ever open, remember opening in a pack. Well, I'm so, I, I, so there you go. I already like it. <laughs> I already like it. Okay. Uh, but the reason that I like it is because it scales. Um, planeswalkers have like this inherent. I wouldn't say disadvantage, but. A I disadvantage. Yeah, I don't really like playing Planeswalkers or playing against Planeswalkers and Commander because they always have that ultimate ability that Planeswalkers just keep ticking up and they seem inevitable. They seem like, well, I guess I have to get rid of that. I have to take care of it. Otherwise,. I'm just going to lose the game. And as a result, they're like a slog to play against. But with Dakon, he has the ability to come in with the amount of loyalty counters equal to the number of lands you have. So you play him early game, he's not a huge threat. He only comes in with like maybe three loyalty or something. You can blow up a creature, maybe get some surveil value. But then later on in the game, if you play him, you top deck him, you got eight, nine lands, something like that. Boom, you can just like remove a couple creatures in a row, something like that. And his big fat loyalty ability at the end his well, ultimate technically well his ultimate is not that impactful so people don't really see him as a threat right okay. they don't see like i have to kill
3: dakon because it doesn't seem like and by the way i'll reread the ultimate which is negative 6 you may put an artifact card from your hand or graveyard onto the battlefield
5: like it's cool yeah it's not like but it's not game, game ending
3: yeah it's not probably going to be game ending cuz you know cheating an artifact into play even if it's blight steel or something like that is often like okay fine you're gonna maybe kill one player maybe not even maybe just
5: have to wait till your next turn so it doesn't feel like yeah if i don't kill dakon and you untap with it we lose yeah and it's three mana so you can get back with like sun titan and stuff um yeah i really like it a lot yeah that is interesting in that um the fact i didn't really
3: think about it i think and I i don't remember talking about this card i might not have done the set review for the modern horizons in the '99 stuff, but. The fact that like playing it on three is fine because you can just it's a three mana removal spell, yeah. uh, or you could surveil if it looks safe out there, which yeah. often it does on three. Mm-hmm. Um, but the fact that like you can play it and get rid of I don't know a Timna or something seems like it would be a good usage of a card in that case. Yeah, and there are those scenarios where you play it, it's safe, you just tick it up, and now it's at four and can remove something and live, and like you're in a pretty good spot there. And then later in the game, like turn six, seven, eight, now it actually is a, you know, regrowth effect for, well, better than regrowth, I Definitely suppose. better than regrowth. <laughs> yeah, like a resurrection effect for an artifact yeah. or, you know, cheat something into play. So basically says, well, whatever the highest cost artifact in your hand is, it's only going to cost three mana because that's what Dakon costs. Yeah. Yeah. And oftentimes in those scenarios, we'll also still stick around mm-hmm. and still be there as like a,
5: you know, well, you got to at least expend some resources to get rid of it or I'm going to start getting value out of it. Yeah. And design-wise, I, I just really love it because like it escapes the Oko problem where Oko was just printed with too high of a loyalty. So it comes out on three, has like seven loyal if you plus it deck on if he comes out on three he comes out in with like three or four loyalty and you're fine with that he scales i do he like how the surveillability works with its minus six too so yeah. again if it's safe you're probably going to play this in
3: decks that like are going to use their graveyard in some way yeah uh, not many people have a lands esper lands
5: deck like you do True. You know, Murph. so but i like that because it's only three mana it can fit in a lot of control decks because control decks relatively want to play a lot of lands, relatively want to play a lot of mana. And so Dakon's just pretty good in those types of decks at any point in the game, I think.
3: Yeah, if you think of it as worst case scenario, a three mana removal spell, then it gets a lot better, right? Because that's the worst case scenario, and now the best case scenario is three mana removal spell plus additional value over the course of
5: the next three or four turns, or, you know, like we said, regrow with an yeah. artifact. So I was actually surprised that this would be my favorite because I really don't like playing with planeswalkers very much. I don't put them in decks very often. So having one of my favorite cards from this entire year be a planeswalker, good on you, Watsy. It might really be like because Dakon <laughs> is just I mean, cool as a definitely character. that too. <laughs> but i really really like the design all
3: right thanks Bert. all right we are here with uh game night's editor post-production supervisor sometimes director sometimes director uh uh, sometimes dp sometimes dp always dp these days it's jake boss everybody hey we're all so excited to see him here it's me uh so jake we're talking about our favorite
6: cards from 2021 uh what is yours Uh, Mine is Mystic Reflection. This card was from Call Time, so very early on in the year. Yeah, you're going back all the way, 11 months or so.
3: 10 months? 10 months. Whatever. Uh, Let me read the card real quick. Mystic Reflection is one in a blue for an instant. You choose target non-legendary creature. The next time one or more creatures or planeswalkers enter the battlefield this turn, they enter as copies of the chosen creature. And it has foretell... For a blue, that means that during your turn, you may pay two generic mana and exile this card from your hand face down, and then you can cast it uh, on a later turn for its foretell cost. So this just costs blue if you foretold it, which almost always happens, I've found, with this card. It's just put it down, and then later, like, aha, get you.
6: Um, Yeah, so you want to explain why it's your favorite card? Well, I love token decks. That is my thing, is uh, forcing Brutaclad into any cool deck. I've always got a new Brutaclad brew going around. Uh, So having an interesting token copy of a creature is vital for that strategy. Uh, So since Mystic Reflection lets you take one of uh, the tokens that are going to be generated, uh, let's say I've got a 1-1 one, one token coming into the battlefield. Yeah. While that effect is on the stack, I'll cast Mystic Reflection and say the next time any creature would enter the battlefield, it'll become, let's say, an Avenger of Zendikar. Okay, that's that's the one oh, everybody bam. talks about. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then Avenger of Zendikar, there's a couple of ways to play that too. Let's say you're just casting this Avenger of Zendikar. You've got nine tokens that are all going to come in. Mystic Reflection's going to see all of them. So you'll say, hey, let's take... All of these plant tokens that are going to come in, those are going to be Avengers of Zendikar as well. But bam Yeah, I, Avengers is the big one that people talk about with this card. The
3: important thing to note is that it is the next time one or more creatures or planeswalkers enter the battlefield this turn. So it's one instance of a creature or multiple creatures coming in, but they have to happen all at once. So if a card creates five tokens all at once then you will create five copies of the thing that you've chosen. Now, if a card instead were to say, every time you do this, create a token, then it would only create one token at a time, and only the first one of those will become the creature that you've targeted as the non-legendary for this spell. That's why Avengers of Zendikar is so awesome. Let's say you have seven lands out. You cast Avenger of Zendikar. It enters the battlefield. Its trigger goes on the stack, says you have seven lands. I'm going to create seven zero one plants. You, in response to that trigger cast your Mystic Reflection, targeting your Avenger of Zendikar, and now those seven plant tokens, because they're all entering at the battlefield at the same time, will make seven Avengers of Zendikar. And each of those seven will make seven more plant tokens, so you'll end up with 49 plant tokens um, and six, or sorry, and, and uh, eight Avengers of Zendikars. Yeah. And then if you played a land, you would get 8 plus 1 plus 1 counters on your plant tokens, or 16 if
6: you play to fetch land. Um, it's so, a crazy amount of value. That's the ideal situation. yeah But there are plenty of uh, unideal situations that are pr- still pretty solid with this card. Like, let's say you're just casting a Lanowar Elves. You've got this foretold. You spend the extra mana. Now I can have uh, whatever the biggest and nastiest thing on the board is. Yeah, but, so like someone's got an Elishnorn or something, and your right.
3: Lanowar Elves would normally just die. Oh, no. Elishnorn is legendary. You couldn't do that, actually. Sorry. But, uh, yeah, let's, that's important. <laughs> yeah. Let's say that. There was, okay, whatever. A Blightsteel Colossus or something is out there. Yeah,
6: I, I would say one of my favorite stories that I've ever had with this card is uh, around Udvara Hellkite. So I had a creature, I had a token coming into the battlefield I'm playing my Brutaclad deck. And I say, okay, the next time a token would come in, it's going to be an Udvara Hellkite. It lands. Then I use Brutaclad to convert all my tokens into Udvara Hellkites. They all swing out. And then it's an insane amount of math. I end up with like 60 dragons on the board at the end. Like this card is just nuts. And that's only when you're using it on your side uh, to benefit you right there are plenty of great ways to hose your opponent let's say josh is casting an ulamog and i say wait a second Mystic Reflection. The next time a creature would enter, it's going to be a copy of a 0-1 plant token. Now, Josh uh, won't get his Ulamog giant body. Right.
3: I'll still get the cast trigger because I did cast an Ulamog, but it won't won't exile uh, the 20 cards off the top of the library or whatever. Yes, I've actually seen it used this way very effectively. You know, now this card's been around for almost a year. Um, I remember seeing somebody use it to just, somebody cast like a Korvold and it was their commander mm-hmm. but it was going to be like one of those turns where they already had everything set up and it was looking like oh you cast corvald draw a million cards do the corvald thing it'll take 20 minutes but we're all going to die probably right and the person said no nah, mr Reflection, i'm just going to turn that corvald into you know the i think it was a vial smasher was on the t- no no that's not landry it was uh, birds of paradise or something yeah it was something that just didn't matter and like Yeah, the person could sack their token and get it back to the command zone, but now they couldn't recast it, and like it basically saved the whole table. It sort of worked as a removal spell in that instance.
6: Yeah, yeah, because easily when you remove something, you could just send it back to the command zone. When you change that permanent to something else, uh, that kind of gets around it. It's like a pseudo-tuck-type effect where we're just hosing our opponents a little extra for playing Corvold. Yeah, for
3: sure. I mean, Corvold has got a lot of sack outlets, but if it's a deck that doesn't, then it could easily just be like, well, okay crap, now I have this copy of this creature, Birds of Paradise, and like, yeah, it's a little bit of value to me, but I actually have trouble getting that creature killed mm-hmm. and to get back to my command zone if I don't have a sack outlet and I'm not a deck that has a lot of those. So it, Mystic Reflection does a lot of work in a lot of different ways. I really like it. Yeah, it's a solid card, and it's I think it's a reasonable price. So if you're not playing it, you know, think about it. It's easy to forget about these cards, especially from the beginning of the year. So much stuff has come out. Yeah. So I like revisiting this. Also, we talk about cards. We, we said this in the intro, but we talk about cards on the show in the context of like set reviews. And then we rarely have a chance to go back and revisit and be like, how did, how is this card actually played out now that we've oh, seen yeah. it, you know, in the wild a number of times. And this card's definitely, in many different ways, been
6: useful. And I think, you know, deserves a place in a lot of decks. Yeah. I, I, one last thing, the foretell cost on it. I think it's great to have uh, many foretell cards that are good in Commander. Uh, like, let's say it's it could be a Doomscar. Right. It could be a Mystic Reflection. Like, you don't necessarily foretell something and they know exactly what's coming. Yeah. So.
3: Although, if they're in blue and not in white,
6: then I'm a yeah, Mystic you know, Reflection is what <laughs> I'm guessing. Yeah. But sometimes there's just not a lot you can do about it. But I think it, it kind of makes it a, a fun part of the game you know it's a fun experience so all right
3: thanks jake all right and now i am here with the fabulous ashlyn rose hey
7: everyone
3: ashlyn is the our brand manager here at the command zone but you have a favorite card from 2021 that you want to talk about
7: yes i do and that card is pest infestation
3: Ooh, let me read it real quick it's uh, a green mana and xx so XX green for a sorcery, destroy up to X target artifacts and or enchantments, and then you create twice X, one, one black and green pest creature tokens with whenever this creature dies, you gain one life. It's a little bit confusing when I read it that way. Uh, let's say X is equal to two. That means this spell will cost you five total mana. You'll destroy up to two artifacts and or enchantments and then make four pest creature tokens. Yes. Okay.
7: Get, there's a lot that happens <laughs> there's, with there's this. There's a lot
3: of math involved in this card. <laughs> yeah. is. It is up to, so you do not have to have, if you were able to make X is equal to a seven or something, if you had a ton of mana, um, it, you don't have to have seven artifacts or enchantments on the battlefield to make, you, you know, you would be like, oh, I'm going to destroy whatever's out there, and then I'll. but I want 14 pest tokens. Yes. Yeah, okay. You
7: still, you still get them. Yeah. And it's glorious. And it's glorious. At so least why is for this me. your favorite card? Yeah. Uh, so this is my favorite card right now just because Uh, when you play with a card that you didn't think would be as uh, satisfying as it is, and then it's super satisfying to play with. And like every time I've drawn it, it's just been like, yes!
3: (laughs) I get to destroy everything that I don't like and I get to make
0: pests?
7: Yes, exactly. Like I get to wipe the board or I get to clear all these annoying mana rocks, um, all these artifacts, and make a bunch of pests. Or I play Essex, so I get to make a bunch of pass quote unquote and then uh, turn them into a bunch of other really terrible things
3: right so in Essex they yeah you're not making pests you're making I don't know what's the coolest thing you've made with it
7: Avenger Avenger of (laughs) Zendikars (laughs) that
3: card keeps coming up and then it just gets
7: worse and worse (laughs) and
3: then the Avengers yeah that seems that seems quite good um i think to our format has gotten a little faster and one of the ways that's gotten faster is there's a lot more sort of two mana rocks so in general it feels like there are more artifacts and enchantments early in games than there used to be which makes this card i think more effective oh, would, yeah. you, would you agree with that
7: yeah absolutely and this card scales really great into late game but mm. early game it's still really good because even if you're playing it for the cheapest amount which is what three yeah it's still a three mana naturalized short sur- sorcery speed but you do get to hit an artifact or enchantment and you still get two bodies with it
3: yeah and sometimes somebody just plays something really scary they're just like it's doubling season i'm just gonna get rid of it yeah and i'm gonna make one pest and i'm gonna go on about my life and a three mana removal spell is not the worst case scenario you know something that we jimmy and i have found over the years is that in your mind you think there's a lot of token creators in green that are just like pay a green and x and make that many one ones but there's actually not that many cards that do that and that It's, it's, it's the cost of this is templated weird, but that's what this is. If you pay green and X because it does twice X. So if you say green and, and well, I guess you can't do odd numbers and that would be the problem. But if you say I have, you know, seven mana total that a green X card would make six one ones. Well, this can do that green three and three will make six one ones. And that actually is powerful in a lot of decks to just be able to say pump all my mana and make that many one ones. So I I like that aspect of it as well. Not just destroying things like it it forwards the token game plan.
7: Yeah, exactly. It's going to forge your tokens. It's great for any type of deck that cares about tokens. You know, Wart the Raid Mother makes a bunch of tokens. It's great in that as well. You have a Zuri who also yep. likes having oh, a bunch of li- tokens. A <laughs> bunch of little
3: things, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. that's great.
7: Um, so I think it's just, it's a really fun card, and I feel like it's kind of one of the low-key ones that people aren't expecting in the game, especially late game, and it can just be nasty late game.
3: Yeah, because you just have a ton of mana, and the, uh, and I'd say the things that tend to beat us are not just, like, creatures. There's a lot of artifacts and enchantments. They're involved in synergies or combos, and you just get to be like, break all that down. Mm-hmm. Just get rid of all of it.
7: Yeah. yeah, especially when someone's running away with their, like, little enchantment artifact combo, over in the corner there and no one has a way to interact with it especially if you're in like a certain color like you're like i'm in rakdos over here i can do nothing to affect the board right now
3: do you have an interesting combo i see on your little notepad here um, (laughs) with another new card and i know this other card was one of your other favorite cards from this year um and it is liquid metal torque which is a a two mana rock which we already mentioned there's a lot more of those but you can tap it to turn something into an artifact that's really interesting because now you can <laughs> yes. get rid of a creature if you want to or something like that. A planeswalker, just turn it into an artifact and then now you can target it with Pest Infestation.
7: Destroy it as well. Turn it into another little wiggly creature.
3: That's pretty cool. That that uh, increases the utility of this card. So, yeah. all right. Very cool card, Pest Infestation. If you're not checking it out, maybe you need to try it. Yeah.
7: Definitely add it to your Essex decks.
3: They're definitely add it there. It's not an expensive card either. It's no. like two fifty or something like that. So, you can definitely find it at channelfireball.com slash command.
8: All right. Hello, everyone. This is Gaurav. Gaurav, do you want to introduce yourself? Hi, everybody. I'm Gaurav. I am an editor here at the Command Zone, mostly doing the ads and special projects. And I'm very happy to be here with you, Josh.
3: Yeah, Gaurav is... um the editor behind things like the GPS, the Crimson Vow, Jimmy and I in the Car, the Vampire mm-hmm. Sketch, as well as, at this point, um, Game Night's Holiday Blingmas episode has come out, so you are the editor behind the That's sort right. of animated storytelling yeah. storybook. I'm working on it literally
8: as we speak. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's the editor of that <laughs> to you, but to him, he's still working on I'm it. I'm still doing
3: it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Grub, let's talk about your favorite card from 2021. It's actually... You're looking at it right now if you're watching the video, if you pay attention.
8: Yes, it's up here. Yeah, this side I think usually, but maybe they will change the sides. I don't (laughs) know. It's up now, but the World Tree, let me read it out out loud real quick. The World Tree is a land, not a legendary land for some reason. Uh, The World Tree enters the battlefield tapped. Not great. But it taps for one green, and as long as you control six or more lands, lands you control have tap and add one mana of any color so a pseudo chromatic lantern is pretty good very good um and it has a little more text on there that says for double wooburg you can tap this land and sacrifice it to search your library for any number of god cards put them on the battlefield and then shuffle your library so not only
3: does it sort of fix all of your mana at a certain point If you've got enough mana out, you basically need uh, 11 mana, 10 plus Mm -hmm. the world tree. Yes, yeah. um, Because you do have to tap and sack the world tree. It just says, go get all the gods that you've got and, you know, put them out there.
8: Um, And I've built an Oops All Gods deck, which I have played on extra turns. And basically...
3: I think the extra turns... Yeah, yeah. It's out, right? The one that... uh, Yeah,
8: that that one's out. Yeah, yeah. that one's out. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So basically, if I play this card, anytime I'm playing my Oops All Gods decks, basically... Anytime I put this card on the table, whether or not I have 10 lands, I have to inform the table. I feel like I have the world tree and then they'll know what that means. Like that just means if I get to 11, I win the game. I've never had to, like I, anytime I use the world tree, no one ever plays that. They're like, okay, I scoop. They don't just
3: say, well, okay, let's see what happens. Get all your gods and let's see what happens.
8: It's never happened. <laughs> they always How many just gods say do you have in the deck? Like thirty five or oh, something. Okay. Like, there's a lot. There's a that lot in fair. there. Yeah. So unless do they get, any like, of
3: those gods give the other gods haste? I guess Xenagos would.
8: Uh, Xenagos would. But there's also um, Perforos. So if I as soon as I get Purphoros out, they start activating each other, and then it well, they all enter her. at the
3: same time, so they would enter as creatures because you would have the right. devotion, and so they exactly. it would just kill everyone at that point yes. just from Perforos.
8: Just from Perforos alone, it would do a, a ton of damage. But at, at that point, yeah, you basically win the game. But I've never had to play it out, so I actually don't know. I assume I win, <laughs> and they're nice enough to let me win, but. Um, um yeah, this card is amazing because in any five color deck, gods or not, you probably want this card. Like it's fixing your mana after six lands. Like that's very good. Yeah, and- I would
3: say I'd say it's worth playing just for that. Yeah. In five color decks, maybe even four color decks.
8: Yeah. um, I know most people are kind of down on Chromatic Lantern or whatever, but this is a pseudo Chromatic Lantern in the landslide. It's good.
3: Yeah, I think Chromatic Lantern, I'm one of the people that's down on it. The reason I'm down on it is because it's an inefficient card to play outside of that effect. It's not that that effect is not something you would want, it's that I don't believe that three mana on a rock is worth that effect. So the fact that this comes in a land. Mm That, I think, changes the equation totally and Mm -hmm. makes it so that, like, can I play a couple of tapped lands in my five-color deck? Yes, I can. In fact, I'll often play a tri-land or two, maybe three or four even, in a five-color deck. So I would replace a tri-land with this, and this just basically says, hey, once I get to turn five or six you know, because I have green in there, I'm probably going to ramp out an extra land. Now, I don't have to worry about my colors, and I think that's worth it. Yeah,
8: exactly. And even if you're not playing gods, like, you can still uh, threaten cards in your deck, like, changelings. Like, you can pull all the changelings in your deck, because this triggers that. Like, that's still very good. Yep. Even if you have, like, three or four, that's three or four creatures out in the board just for you. Like, that's great. Um, Uh,
3: There are cards also that will make all the all the creatures in your deck into gods if you want to. So there's definitely combos like Conspiracy is a card that does this. Mm -hmm. There's also cards that will change all of the creatures that you have in your deck to become any creature type or you can choose a creature type. So there's Maskwood Nexus Mm -hmm. and then there's Arcane Adaptation. So that allows you to play non-god cards in a deck and basically say, well, they're all gods now because that's what I choose or whatever. And allows you to kind of break World Tree in that way where it's like, okay, now I'm going to get, you know, all my ETB creatures in my rune deck Mm -hmm. with it or something like that. Oh, I couldn't go to rune deck because it's five color, but you know what I'm saying. Sure, sure.
8: But, I mean, that's a sneaky thing you can do is in a five color deck, be like, I I don't have any gods in this deck when you play World Tree and then you play all your changelings or cards like this out of it and they're like, okay, all right. It only works once but it's fun the one time it
3: works. I just realized that I said it could go in four color decks when it cannot do that because it it has We're on the card. Yes. I was I was th- I'm forgetting about the activated ability. So, so please forgive me if you've been shouting at your screen. Okay. Pause
8: immediately and started commenting. Yeah, yeah,
3: so they didn't even hear me say that part. Yeah, okay. Well, we get excited sometimes. That's how that happens. Okay. Thanks, Groff.
0: Yeah. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs, projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain, it's hard to find
9: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Okay,
3: and now I'm here with Jamie Block, who is a staff writer here with us at the Command Zone. Um, You do a lot of the ads. Also, Jordan uh, and you teamed up to write the, what we call the GPS um, skit for Crimson Valve, Jimmy and I in the car and the the Vampire thing, and also the uh, the Blingmas animated skit.
10: Yeah, no, it's been a lot of fun. Great to, you know, ads are fun, sketches are fun, more stuff coming down. It'll be a good time. Yeah, we got a lot in the pipe, a lot planned that Jimmy and Jordan are working on. But today we're talking about your
3: favorite commander card from 2021. I got to say, this is a card that has hosed me on multiple occasions.
10: Uh, very powerful. You want to go ahead and read it? Yes, it is Ink Shield, and Ink Shield says, Prevent all combat damage that would be dealt to you this turn. For each one damage prevented this way, you create a 2-1 white and black inkling creature token with flying, which was the silver quill creature token from Strixhaven. Yeah, 2-1 flyers for each damage prevented. So if I swing, as each damage prevented, it's not It's each not each creature. attacking creature like Arachnogenesis, which is sort of like the spiritual predecessor to this card. Yeah, this card ends up being way better than Arachnogenesis. It also only prevents damage to you, not all combat damage. Um, yes, notably the thing that I did not read off is it does cost five. So yeah. oh, that yeah. is where... It's three a white and a black. Yes, so that is where Arachnogenesis has a slight advantage is you don't have to hold up five mana to do it. But for all the things that you could hold up five mana to do, Ink Shield is one of the best.
3: Yeah, the the fact that it is to the damage and not to the amount of creatures ends up being a huge thing and something I think I probably misevaluated the first time I saw this card. Because you don't often get attacked with like five plus creatures in Commander. Like it happens, but it's not a thing that happens all the time. But you often in games, there'll be a point in which you just have to eat eight or nine damage. You know, just like two things are coming in, you don't want to lose a thing, you're at 30. And when they go, okay, fine, make nine 2-1 flyers, it's like, oh, crap. Like, that is a big swing. And then, of course, there are the times where it's like, you are going to die, and it's 50-plus damage prevented, and they make 50 2-1 flyers.
10: Yeah, no, it can scale from good to great, basically. It's never going to be bad. The one bad situation with this card, maybe, is you leave it up because you're excited because you think you're going to get attacked, and then maybe you get attacked for three. Right, and it's just, it's not, <laughs> uh, it's just not do, you do it or it. not. Exactly.
3: Yeah. Have you been caught in those situations where I mean, you have to play injured or play, you know, you have to sort of, I think you have to do some table posturing to really maximize this card, which might be fun.
10: Yeah, I mean, it sets up sort of a kind of deal that has become my favorite to make recently. Whereas if you do blank, I will kill that other player. Uh, So I recently had a game where someone could attack someone for 20, and I said, if you attack me for 20, I'll kill this other person. Uh, I didn't say how exactly. Some people might have guessed, but, uh, but it worked. And, you know, the the sort of key thing to be sneaky about there is you don't mention, in addition to killing that other person, one turn later, I'll probably kill the other two of you. (laughs) (laughs) I'll still have my 2-1 fires, by the way, after that's over. Yeah, it's to
3: the point where I think you have to be very suspicious if a player is in white, particularly, and doesn't seem that worried, even though you have Lethal.
10: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, in addition to this card, there's Selfless Squire, which is sort of another spiritual predecessor to this card in that it's another one that counts the amount of damage prevented, but that just gives you one big creature, whereas all these two ones flying are much better. But to sort of go back and answer the question of has it ever been stranded? Yes. Uh, but sort of the deck that I run it in, where it sort of fits the best, I have it in a couple decks, Uh is one that's pretty focused on holding up mana, either to counter spells or do other stuff at instant speed anyway. So I'm used to it at that point with that <laughs> deck. If a card gets stranded in my hand, sort of no big event happened, it's kind of just the deck operating as usual. So that is the thing is, you know, you, you want to put this in a lot of decks, but you do want to put it more in decks that are focused on like uh, leaving mana up. Yeah. Decks that aren't trying to just like tap out on your own turn, go big.
3: Right, yeah. I, I would think it would be the most effective index that have other things they could do if you do not get attacked. But I also think there is something to be said for like, you can kind of play the injured, like, oh no, don't attack me. It's going to be bad. I don't have anything I can play. You know, yeah. you can kind of like do a little bit of acting and get, you know, sucker people into attacking you and then get the advantage. Jimmy likes to pull that trick a lot and yeah. he's pretty good at it because, well, Jimmy's an actor.
10: I like to pull that trick. I'm bad at pulling that <laughs> trick in part just from an acting perspective and in part because I like the card too much that I kind of want people to know that I have it because I'm just proud to be running it. <laughs> so I'll like, I'll always be hinting, you could attack me. Something might happen. And then immediately people ask me, is it ink shield? And I say, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> okay well you got to work on your poker face a little bit i love the card yeah
3: it's still a cool card all right thanks jimmy thank you okay and now i am here with shauna shauna you're one of our resident uh competitive leaning players
11: the only resident cdh player just saying
3: (laughs) yeah Uh, okay fine i dabble a little bit though it's not like we don't have people here that i've been trying
11: to leech into the the pool a little bit to try to get people to try it but
3: we did have a very fun cdh game the other
11: night it was good
3: okay so i'm interested to hear because you have sort of that perspective on the format uh what your favorite card of 2021 is and i'm looking at it now it's not a a super surprise i do think this card's very good nope uh you want to read it
11: so my favorite card is Ragavine Nimble, Pilferer. So this, is, this comes to no surprise to anybody who frequents CDH, but anybody who even plays other formats, Legacy, Standard, anything like that, this card is a monster. And it's been hitting pretty every, every format, and it's been hitting it really hard. So it's a 1 mana, 1 red mana, Legendary Creature, Monkey, Pirate. It's a 2-1. And it says, whenever Ragavan Nimble Pilferer deals combat damage to a player, create a treasure token and exile the top card of that player's library. Until in a turn, you may cast that card. It also has dash, which it, for one colorless and a red, you may cast the spell for its dash cost. If you do, it gains haste and it's returned from the battlefield to its owner's hand at the end of, at the beginning of the next end step, which I feel like... I don't personally use the dash cost, cost much. Maybe that's because I'm playing mainly CDH and not other formats. But There's I some feel probably
3: like stuff you can do with it, but I've mostly seen people just play it out on turn one and use it as, like, a Birds of Paradise early. And then it draws you cards. Like, that's the crazy part about this thing.
11: You can't... There's nothing wrong with this card. It, it's literally the biggest engine you can drop on turn one, and... I've definitely been looking up some stuff about, you know, just yeah, like...
3: She, she brought notes. I brought you, notes. You're more prepared than the other students. I like this.
11: Listen, I, <laughs> this card is basically insane. And I wanted to kind of... I'm generally... I've told you before, I'm pretty bad at comparing, like, the power level of cards at base level. So, doing a lot of research online, I've seen a bunch of articles comparing this guy to, like, a death threat shaman. Yep. Not necessarily to a soul ring, but... Because in general base level value, I think Soul Ring is better.
3: It's probably the most um, powerful card in the history of magic. So And it's consistent. Con- so yeah. comparing anything to that means that you're in the upper echelons of power that exist though, right? Even if you're not like, whatever, we can mince words and say which one is more powerful. If it's, yeah. If it's even a conversation, then you know the card is insane. Deathrite Shaman is another card that I would put among the most powerful of all time. So the fact that it's in those conversations. I see you have Birds of Paradise, which we talked about. Another card that I would say just ubiquitously always been powerful. Yeah. You put Esper Sentinel down, which is another one drop. Um, So this is in that class of card that's just super efficient. Yeah. And just, you know... Yeah, every time Ragavan hits the table, you're just like, I can't believe it does all of that.
11: It does everything. And I was having this conversation earlier where what Ragavan does that Soul Ring doesn't is it makes an impact. Every like Sol Ring's been out since Commander's been out. It's been right. it's been out before Commander. So ever since we started playing Commander, we see a Soul Ring in turn one, we know, alright, target that player, that guy's gonna get out of hand quick. I gotta keep my eye out over there. But I think Ragavan hits the floor and he hits it hard. He hits it because you know that this will spiral out of control it's not going to level off because I feel like you get to maybe turn five or six. You have enough mana regardless. Your soul ring is helpful, but it's not as crazy as the first couple turns. Rag event, if it sticks around, it's going to keep building up that value and it's going to keep stealing that value from other players' decks, especially... I, th- I, th- I think
3: two treasures are kind of, um, they're underrated in that... A soul ring creates two mana when you tap it, but there's sure. not a way for that mana to now be saved for next turn and the turn after. And oh, what yeah. Rav- Rav- Ravidragarin can do is come down on one, hit somebody, create a treasure. You don't use a treasure yet. Hit somebody, create a treasure, and now on turn three, you've got six mana. Yeah, and that allows you to make a play that is maybe more powerful than if you had used two or three mana on turn two and then three mana or four mana on turn three or something like that. You can just make one really big play, which can often just you know, unbalance the table in a really uh, powerful way.
11: Yeah, not to mention that I feel like in the comparison between this and Soul Ring, if you're looking at an early CDH game, the biggest annoyance I would say is an early Mystic Remora. Mm. If I see a Mystic Remora in my winning hand, I am, I'm keeping that hand. I will do my best. One lands, no lands. I might go for it. So
3: this is a creature.
11: This is a creature. It doesn't hit that Mystic Remora. Yeah. That's you don't realize how huge that is. Oh, no, I do. yeah. Because. Essentially, if you're playing... Almost all
3: early plays in both regular commander and CDH are non-creature.
11: Exactly. And then if you're sitting at my CDH table, if somebody plays that turn one Miss Grimora, it's going to slow the game down. It's basically like a stasis effect where everyone's going to wait and till they maybe they play out their, like, Elvis, Elvis Mystics, Death Threat Shaman, stuff like that. They're going to
3: try and punish them by making them play the upkeep a bunch and exactly. not get anything for it. Exactly. Yeah.
11: They're not, they're not going to just run into it like some casual players do right. because they need the value. We, we don't need the value. If we want to slow down the game, slow it down, whatever. So avoiding that potential trigger is huge. Not I mean, to mention...
3: It's interesting, the comparison between casual and, and, and CDH here, and I think maybe one of the reasons that casual players have... Um, we may not see Ragavan as much in those circles, sure. is because they're worried that, like, by turn three or four, it's a 2-1, in it. I don't have a way to sort of get it in there. And now it becomes sort of less effective. And I think that, you know, th- that may be causing some people not to use it. I think it's incorrect, because I, I think the card is very powerful, even in those circumstances. Um, but what would you say to the players that are sort of thinking, hey, in casual circles, there's more creatures earlier? And so it might just get blanked by the board.
11: Without a doubt, yeah. I definitely... That's why I think it's situationally better better than Soul Ring. In a CDH game, maybe like a year or two ago, this thing was insane. But now that we've seen a lot of we see a lot of dorks, a lot of little um, hate bears yeah. that they're gonna get this things away and they're gonna be hard to get rid of. But essentially I would say that the value that you can achieve before those get played out, or even if you don't necessarily get the swing value, the amount of value you can draw just by having them on the board you're gonna draw all of that creature removal that everybody started with in their hands. All their swords, all their paths, all their, anything that can remove it, abrupt decays, anything like that, it's gonna hit this guy.
3: Yeah, they're going to have to waste it on this you,
11: thing. You have to get rid of it, yeah.
3: I would also say that you only have to get one card off Ragavan that you play to make before it worse, yeah. it's been worth it because it's replaced itself now. And so all the treasures and everything else, and if you've gotten a couple of cards off it, is gravy. And it's very hard to imagine a game where Ragavan comes out turn one or even two where it doesn't at least equal itself in value. Get you one card that you play before end of turn and get you a couple of treasures. And, of course, there's many games where just one player or two players just don't do anything that can block it for four or five turns. And then those cases, the... The value is insane you've now virtually drawn two or three cards created five mana like yeah. from a one drop so yeah i really like this card i like that you called it out thank you mm-hmm. for um bringing it to the attention of the casual people out there who are playing it for sure <laughs> okay and now we are here with damon lens damon is one of our new junior editors here in fact he works on the podcast so you might even be editing yourself later
12: yeah that'd be pretty wild if i get to edit myself how do you know? feel about that yeah uh I'm pretty excited for that. Uh, I will say something that I noticed. You actually warned me about this. You're going to hate the on. sound of your own voice. Exactly. I hate the sound of my voice. And I'm like, I, I hope I don't sound like that in real life, but apparently here that I am. That
3: is how you sound, Damon. I, I hate to tell you, but one good thing the more you do this, the less you care about the sound of your own voice. I've gotten used to the sound of my voice coming through speakers. So don't worry, it gets better. Fair enough. I look forward to that. Okay. Let's uh, talk about your favorite card from 2021. Do you want to read it? You okay. you are an overachiever. You actually brought the card.
12: Here we are, right here. Oh, you got a fancy it, version of yeah, it. Yeah, that's right. All right, right. what is it? We got Sword of Hearth and Home. So it's a three mana artifact equipment, two to equip. Equipped creature gets plus two plus two, has protection from white and from green. And whenever the equipped creature deals combat damage to a player, you exile up to one target creature you own, search your library for a basic land card, and then put both cards onto the battlefield under your control, then shuffle.
3: So it flickers a card you own, and it goes and finds uh, a land card. And then it doesn't even put that land card onto the battlefield tapped. It puts it in untapped
12: yeah that is that is actually huge because like a lot of the times with these swords you end up playing them on turn five that way you can play it immediately equip and then use it uh that way it's not sitting on the battlefield you know and your opponents are hungry to remove it and you don't even get a use out of it the nice thing about this is it gives you one of that mana back uh so if you have uh ponder preordain any of the the plowshares swords any of the plethora of one drops that we play. Swan Song. Yep. You can play it on that turn or, you know, if you end up playing it on a later turn, then that's just an additional mana that you get to use that turn.
3: Yeah. So. I, I, often it becomes actually quite an advantage if you swing once or twice because it ends up giving you two, three extra mana, that that uh, untapped part of it that you wouldn't otherwise normally get, which is pretty
12: powerful. Right. Exactly. And, and that's like a big thing with this card. And one part of the reason that I picked it is... Uh, white especially needs ramp. Yep. That is that is something that we've talked about many times on the show. That's something that the players have been asking wizards for. And this is a great non-green way to ramp. Any color can get access to this because the artifact is colorless and it's just a consistent ramp spell. It's very similar to Sword of the Animus in that way. Uh, that one's two to play, two to equip, plus one, plus one, and, then, and it gives you the land on attack, whereas this is combat damage. But This, for one additional mana, gives you protection from two very relevant colors. White being one of the best removal colors in the format, and green just being one of the most played colors in the format. And probably the most powerful color in the format now. Blue has something to say about it, but still. Exactly. And then on top of that, that land entering the battlefield untapped is huge. Um, there is also a little sneaky upside with the blink. It does say own not control. So you can actually steal back your creatures. If your opponent steals it, uh, that yeah, actually they like gilded Drake, your thing or something that, that actually comes up
3: in a, a large number of games where you're like, Oh, I'll blink my thing back. And it comes back under owner's control. Cause it says owner. That's, that's correct. Yeah, yeah. I've had that happen to me a number of times now where you're like, Oh crap. So, okay. I can't steal anything from the sort of hearth and home player. Cause they just get it back.
12: Yeah. And that's, that's kind of a sneaky thing. Uh, this this will become less relevant as this card sees more play, but a lot of people don't know that, 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 yeah. that that's how the card works. So like I was playing a game uh, here, uh, somebody cast an Expropriate and I was playing my Tovalar deck and I have this, I have this in my Tovalar deck and they stole one of my werewolves And I had this on the battlefield, so they they, they easily could (laughs) have stolen the sword. Didn't realize, so then the very next rotation of just like, equip, attack, hey, I want my werewolf back. And it was just, it was a beautiful thing. Because usually it says controller, not owner, so it's it's an interesting, and that's how magic works. These little
3: one-word changes change the card vastly. Um, That protection from green and white I find to be very powerful, too, because it just often allows you, there's one player that just is... Only has green creatures, only has white creatures, and you can just get in for free so you know you're going to get in there. So it, it kind of mitigates the fact that the difference between sort of the Animus is on attack and this is on combat damage tends to be not that hard to get in with any of the swords because they all give protection from two colors and you can usually find a way
12: to make that mean you're unblockable. Yeah, I actually uh, came prepared with some uh, additional research just oh, okay. so I can actually like support that thought. So out of the top 10 commanders, according to Rec, 9 out of 10 of them are green and or white. So, so have at least one of those colors. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, or if not both. Or both, yeah. And then out of the top 100 commanders on Rec, 75, uh, 75 of them are green and or white. It's
3: mostly the green that's doing the heavy lifting there. Exactly. But still, that just means like, this is going to make you unblockable a large percentage of the time. And 75%... 75 of them, meaning there's... And there's, you know, most of us play a uh, four-player commander. Exactly. I mean, there's going to be one player at the table almost always that's in at least one of those colors. So...
12: Right. Yeah, and you get to pick on them at the least. Right. It's, it's honestly great. I've, I've yet to have a, a game where that protection was not relevant. Um, and it, even an, an additional side research thing i did so looking at edh rec at the top removal spells out of the top ten, eight of them are green or white. Wow. So that your creature is fairly safe. Um, From I mean, most of the main removal that's being used. Exactly, because white is one of the biggest removal yeah. spells, as I mentioned earlier, and then green even has some heavy hitters. Now, a lot of those removal spells can not hit the sword, but at least you're protecting your creature, and that's one additional step that a player has to make.
3: All right, one last question before we go here. On the the um, the leaderboards or the ranking of the sword ofs, where do you think Hearth the Home sits?
12: Ooh, that is a really good question. Uh, for me, I probably put it at I probably put it between two and three. And so the top one I think is sort of Feast of Family. It's Easily, hard to get past that. Yeah, yeah. Very hard to get past that. The one that I I kind of go back and Fire forth and on is Fire and Ice. Exactly. I think there, I would put
3: Hearth the Home above it. So I would put it at number two. Okay. So that's I think that putting the land into play is just very powerful. And the blinking is almost always useful in some way. Very few decks don't have a a good etb target for it and just the side benefit of being able to get stuff back that's been stolen you know, it tends to be pretty useful,
12: so. Yeah, the thing that I, that I like, kind of go back and forth on, and it's the reason that I don't want to say for sure this is better than Fire Dice, is the fact that Fire nice gives you pro protection from red, which means you're protected from almost all the red wraths. Right that is blast from a
3: sack and earthquakes and stuff are damage-based. Yeah. Exactly,
12: and that's pretty big, um, but it's definitely very close, and the fact that this new sword uh, is that good, that it, it kind of is on that level... Speaks volumes to to its power level. It tells you all you need to know. Exactly. And right now, this card is only like 10 bucks. So, like, I'm picking up as many as I can. I have it in a ton of decks. It does feel like a card that in two years is going to be $30 easy. Exactly. So, yeah. yeah.
3: All right. So, you heard it here. Go pick them up. Peace. Okay. Well, Manson, you have... Oh, hey, everybody. Manson here. Manson, do you want to explain what you do really quick? Hey, uh, I'm the Game Nights editor here at the Command Zone. Right, you've probably seen Manson on Extra Turns and our other content as well. Yeah. Manson, you've chosen a card, probably the card that I would choose uh, as my favorite card. Oh, yeah? which, if you if you measured it by the most amount of my decks that a card it has got into, then, it, sure. then it is this card. Uh, do you want to say what it is? Yeah, so this card is Douthy Voidwalker. All right, it is black black for a 3-2 Delfy Rogue. It has shadow, which means this creature can block or be blocked by only creatures with shadow. It says, if a card would be put into an opponent's graveyard from anywhere, instead exile it with a void counter on it. And then you can tap and sacrifice the Delfy Voidwalker and choose an exiled card an opponent owns with a void counter on it. You may play it this turn without paying its mana cost.
13: Why is it your favorite card, Manson? Well, it's one of the most powerful cards, I think, that got released... Uh, in Magic this year, right? Yeah, I think it's up there with
3: other cards we'll probably talk about at some other point on this. <laughs> it's it, it, it might get my vote for the most powerful card of the year. Um, it's definitely up there.
13: Yeah, for sure. And like, uh, there's like a lot of combos I think that um, people have been using it with. Um, you know, with like wheel effects or something.
3: Yeah, so if you wheel with this out, um, then none of the stuff from your opponents will go to their graveyard. It'll just get exiled because... It says, if a card would be put into an opponent's graveyard from anywhere, instead exile it with a void counter on it. That's kind of one of the big things, I think, about this card is, like, you, you exile things with void counters on it, and then they're, they're exiled. Like, there's, you know, you, you might be able to cash this in and cast one of them, but the rest of them are just exiled, you know, forever. Forever, yeah. So, that's kind of a big deal because it can just shut off certain decks.
13: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's the, the Tactile and Graveyard hate, shut down, I know, a lot of decks.
3: Yeah, there are so many graveyard decks in the format now. I mean, I have a lot of decks where this just hits the table. I'm like, oh, my deck, it it doesn't work anymore. Like, I have to kill that thing before I can continue to do anything
13: else. Yeah, the funny part is, though, it also works good in graveyard decks in itself because if you do, because it has the sacrifice outlet. Yep. So you just sacrifice it and then be able to reanimate it again and do it all over again.
3: Yeah, because of the void counters that it puts on, It just checks, does a card have void counters on it? It doesn't really care, actually, like a lot of cards do, if it, you know, exiled it before or not. It just says, do those things have void counters? So you actually have access to all the cards that were... Void countered with it earlier, yeah. even though it died and it's now coming back. And it says opponents. I really think that's where the mistake, quote unquote mistake, <laughs> with the design on this card is. Is If it was um, symmetrical so that it affected you as well, right. it would be a different story. But right. because it actually, your graveyard's fine, you don't exile your own stuff, you only exile opponent's stuff. I guess then it would be broken in a different way where you could like replay your own Card twice, like you could true. cast something awesome and then have it recast it. So true, I, I get maybe why they just but anyway, the fact that its opponent's only really works in your favor there.
13: Yeah, it's like super sweet, and you know you could get pretty mean with this card too if you pair it up with uh, Helmet of Obedience. Oh boy, so you just instantly just mill someone out. So would you want to explain how that works? Yeah, so because of the tacked on graveyard hate for Dal'thi Voidwalker, none of the cards go into the graveyard, actually. So with Helm of Obedience, it's a four-mana artifact, X and a tap, target opponent mills a card, then repeats this process until a creature card or X cards have been put into their graveyard this way, whichever comes first. If one or more creature cards were put into the graveyard this way, sacrifice Helm of Obedience and put one of them onto the battlefield under your control. X can't be zero.
3: So because it says, well, mill the card, and Dolly Voidwalker goes, okay, well, that goes into exile with a void counter on it, Helm of Obedience never sees uh, the cards be put
13: in the graveyard, so it never stops. It just mills them all the way to nothing. Exactly. And then the helm doesn't get sacrificed either because there's no creatures.
3: Oh, boy. It doesn't get sacrificed either. So then you just do that to somebody else and do that to somebody else? Yep, exactly. That's pretty brutal. So, those kind of combos make it even more powerful, yeah.
13: Yeah, for sure. I'm not even doing that, and I
3: put Dalthy Woodwalker <laughs> into, like, you know, 10 decks, maybe.
13: Yeah, I think there's some, maybe some legacy decks or something that have this combo or something.
3: Uh-huh. You That's know.
13: And you're in black already, so you know you can go find the other piece if
3: you yeah, need to. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, you don't even need to do that, though. I think Dalthy just, it's a two CMC card so it's crazy it's crazy efficient also the shadow i've found to be like oddly kind of like a thing because it actually will get in there for a, a lot of damage it's not that yeah. weird to play it on two and then just have it get in for six to nine damage
13: yeah and some some decks you know care about dealing combat damage or something so that unblockable uh, is pretty good as well do you find when you play it that
3: you let it sit out there for the graveyard hate or do you cash it in for something cool that's been cast uh
13: You know, most of the time. No, I always cash it in for something cool. I want to do big, splashy stuff in Commander, right? So (laughs) I always cash it in and, you know, maybe, maybe I could reanimate later down the line.
3: That's how I play it too. A lot of times even just a Cultivate or something is good enough where I'm like, hey, I'll take the ramp. Right. And then, yeah, like you said, you're in a black deck. Almost always you do have ways to get back. Right. We saw Jimmy do that in the...
13: Uh, episode of game night
3: yeah where it's like yeah it's hosing one player but what about the other two players I'd rather get ahead myself and then like you know I can always bring it back later to hose the graveyard player when I really need to right exactly all right cool that is a good one I approve of this message (laughs) okay now we're here with Arthur Arthur welcome to the show thanks Josh Arthur is one of our editors in fact you edit the podcast so you're probably very good chance you're editing part at least part of this episode right now yeah editing yourself how do you feel about that it's it's a trip. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I did it for years and years, so yeah. you get more used to it as you do it more. Um, you're also a big commander player, super big. So um, let's get into
14: it here. What is your favorite card from 2021 for commander? So my favorite card is you find some prisoners. It's a two mana card, one in a red, and it has it's two. It's modal. So mode one is break the chains, and it's destroy target artifact, and mode two. Says target player reveals the top three cards of their library, puts them into exile, and then you may play a card from among those three. Oh, so it um it impulsive draws one of them, but it also says you may spend
3: mana that or mana of any color to cast that card. So you have to you do have to spend mana, but it could be mana of any color. There's also an instant, which is interesting. Yeah. So why is this your favorite card from this year?
14: Uh, I love that it's just this little two-mana card that can really fit into a lot of, um, turns. So, you could do it on your turn, you can wait for an opponent's turn. It's just, you're gonna draw it and you're gonna feel good drawing this card. There's always a time and a place for it, and I really like cards like that. Um, yeah, it reminds me a little bit, uh, and I don't
3: know if you've replaced, but it reminds me of a braid a little bit, mm -hmm. where it's like, um... There's usually an artifact to destroy, and that's probably like you're, you're, you know, you're doing that most of the time. But in situations where either there's no artifacts or you just don't care about any of the artifacts out there, or you're maybe digging for a different answer or something like that. Now, this has sort of another mode of like,
14: you know, dig for an answer from somebody else's deck, but you do get to look at sort of three cards and choose one. Yeah, I think if you're using it to dig for an, uh, an answer in your opponent's deck. Like, that can be a really fun thing to do, but I don't think it's the optimal way to play the card. I do like how you compare it to a Braid. I was thinking about that a lot, too. And uh, do you, how do you feel about this versus a Braid? Do you... Uh, I think
3: I would prefer this most of the time. Um, yeah. A Braid obviously has the three damage, so it can kind of kill certain creatures. Sure. But there are certain creatures, of course, that it cannot kill. Yeah, And I feel like, you know... Especially if you're searching for an answer that is the table wants to happen, you could ask everybody like, hey, which one of you is most likely to have what I'm looking for? And also just in general, you sort of know what your opponent's decks are doing and you can usually be smart about, oh, this is most likely to have like something cool that I'm looking for.
14: Yeah, I, the a number one way I like to use this is a lot of people like to do kind of um, things with the top of their deck. So big one, of course, is oh. Mystical Tutor, Worldly Tutor, Enlightened Tutor, Vampiric Tutor. Uh, noxious Revival is pay two life or a green to instant speed, put a card back on top. Uh, I don't like to be this guy, but if someone's about to win a game, put their win con on top of their deck, even since Sensei's Divining Top, like rearrange it a bit, like... I, I got I to gotta be doing something about it and I really like to hold it and wait for that. Mm, that's so, very smart. Yeah. So so like blanking their vampiric tutor or something sure. or just, you know,
3: stealing the card that they got because it's probably awesome. Mm. But but also just like, hey, you two tut- you vampiric tutor for something and I'm just going to exile the top three cards of your library and now it's as if you just basically wasted your tutor. It's not going to do anything.
14: Yeah. Y- you know, I don't feel okay.
3: bad if they're tutoring. Why would you
14: feel okay. bad about yeah, that? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, So, also, I really, so it says play, not cast. Of course, you do need to spend mana, but here's a really interesting way I use it too. Is let's say it's turn three. You've, you kept a land maybe with two lands in this card, right? Turn three, you don't have a land. Maybe you were hoping you draw it by turn three. Maybe you don't. Okay. Well, I'm going to target probably the landfall or the most likely to have a lot of lands. Let me, maybe the green deck and be like, hey, let's see what top three cards you got. Maybe you got a land in there. And boom, you kept almost like an MDFC of a card. Because you can just get, you can like take a land from them.
3: So, yeah, that's really that's really yeah. great. Actually, I do like smoothing out my games, and one of the ways is cards that like allow you, you know, t- they sort of work as a pseudo land or can help you keep mm-hmm. hands that you wouldn't otherwise keep. Mm-hmm. But then in situations where I have plenty of lands in my hand, well, now I use the the other modes on this card.
14: Definitely. Uh, also, I think it can burn a counter spell. Going back to the way that people might tutor for their win, so. If you're a red player, you might not be dipping into, like, the counterspell colors. And so let's say there's a really crazy stack going on, and you know that they're setting up for a win. Maybe you just throw this out. You're like, hey, I know that you have the counterspell. I can't counter what they're doing, but I can do this, which will stop their tutor. So if I do this to burn their counterspell, then you can put it the, like, nail in the coffin and help out with this stack here. So, in Desperation, yeah.
3: you could even target the, a, a counterspell player and hopefully really? get a counterspell on their top yeah. of cards that maybe can, will allow you to interact on a complicated stack. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, I like yeah. this card. It, it definitely feels like it has a lot of flexibility. A card that I think... Um, Kind of flew under the radar for a lot of people. I never I've never really thought about it until now.
14: Yeah, there's a lot of stuff you can do with this card. It's really great. It's like the bread and butter of a deck. You put it in there, you're always going to feel good drawing it. I've got it in all my red decks. It's just a great time.
3: A lot of red cards popping up on this uh, f- uh, favorite cards of 2021. Yeah. Red, Red's definitely coming up, up and coming. Let's go red. So,
15: all right, thanks, Arthur. Yep, bye. Okay. Do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, uh, I'm Truck. I am Josh's assistant here at the Command Zone. Um, I help around uh, around the office, get snacks, handle scheduling. Um, I've been learning a bit of editing too, so that's been a lot of fun. Truck does a little bit of everything. Help us on set, things yep. like that. Yeah.
3: Okay, Truck. What is your favorite card for Commander from 2021?
15: Okay, my favorite card from this year is Tibalt's Trickery. It is one in a red for an instant to uh, counter target spell. Choose one, two, or three at random. Its controller mills that many cards, then exiles cards from the top of their library until they exile a non-land card with a different name than that spell. They may cast that card without paying its mana cost. They then put the exile cards back on the bottom of the library in a random order. Lot of take in there.
3: Yeah. All right. So, it counters a spell, but it kind of... We've compared it to Chaos Warp a little bit. Sure. Where they kind of get a random thing out of their deck instead of the spell that they were casting.
15: Exactly. All right. Why is this your favorite card? Okay. I should preface, I hate counterspells. Counterspells are disgusting. I sit down to play Magic the Gathering, not to play less Magic the Gathering. But if you have to play a counterspell, play the funnest counterspell they've ever made. It's fun just because it's random and you don't know what the outcome is going to be? Exactly. Right. Because... So, when... Obviously... If you want to win the game, you should play counter spells. But it's such a feels bad moment when you're like, I just got this shiny new card. I'm going to slam Bolas Citadel down and then counterspell. Counterspell, force of will, whatever. By the way, if someone's playing Bolas Citadel, you should counter it. Okay, go. <laughs> Help a brother out. So, but this one at least you get like a consolation prize? Exactly. You get something. And, you know, sometimes it fizzles, but this is a hard rule of magic. Better players, top deck better.
3: <laughs> that's a hard rule of magic. Hard rule of magic. Better players, yeah. don't tell Brian Kibler. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so, yeah, I, I mean, this has been fun, I will say, most of the times that I've seen it played in that, like, it does stop something that was big and scary. Exactly. And, but still, it's like, oh, what's going to happen? And sometimes the thing that's going to happen is still pretty good, so it's like, oh, uh, like... Yeah,
15: but, so, the reason I like it is everyone, like, this is a card when you play it, everyone sits up and is like, what's going to happen? What is Tybalt's going to get? Is it going to get you a Mana Rock at turn eight? And you're like, dang it. Or is it going to get you like Omnipotence or like um, Genesis Ultimatum? Um, There's also one very interesting um, interaction with this card. And if you've played a constructed format in the last year, historic, standard, modern, um, where I think, yeah, it's banned right now is you can counter your own spells with Tybalt's Trickery. And in a non-singleton format, it's disgusting because you can build your deck around cheating out insanely powerful spells. But in Commander, it's pretty fair because you can't really make your entire deck like that right like there's not a lot of commander decks that says like everything's in here is a 10 drop
3: exactly so i'm gonna counter my own rampant growth and try and get you know hopefully get like something
15: insane out of it yeah so it, it gives you a lot of flexibility too because like let's say it's turn eight you top deck a mana rock a rampant growth you know ramp spells turn eight not really that useful you have a chance of turning it into any other spell in your deck so it has a lot of versatility too Interesting. Have you countered your own spells much in uh, Commander with this? Yes. Uh, honestly, a little bit of that is I just don't like countering things in general. So, I will take counter spells out of my deck. The only counter spells I run are Tybalt's Trickery and, like, I opened a Mana Drain. So, I almost run it like Ramp, but... What do you mean almost run it like I Ramp? I run it like Ramp. I <laughs> he play, runs it like Mana Drain. <laughs> yeah. So, when I play Mana Drain, in when I'm building my decks, I consider it Ramp, not a counter spell. <laughs>
3: It makes me feel better. Yeah, that just goes to prove the things we can trick ourselves in our own mind about, yeah. yeah. Um, okay, yeah, I, I would agree that I think a lot of people, if they played Standard or Historic or something, mm-hmm. they hear you say Tibble's Trickery, they probably groaned a little bit. Yeah. But actually in Commander, uh, as far as I've seen, it tends to not be a combo card or a card they're really synergizing with their own deck in a it's, lot of ways. It's almost always... They might counter their own thing, but it is more of a coin flip as far as because you have to build decks that have mana rocks and things like that in there for the most part, so they can always hit
15: something small. The combo thing is actually a really good point because like it matters a lot less because of how random this card is. But if you're playing this against like a CDH tuned deck, mm. a lot of combo pieces don't do anything on their own. Yeah. So if you pull out like a walking ballista by itself, that's not too useful. But if you're playing against like truck over here running like vanilla five mana eight eight.
5: Oh yeah, it is it's fine. Such a you counter
3: game. whatever I'm doing because I have a lot of good things in my deck, and that wasn't like a game-winning piece. It was just a big impactful thing. Yeah,
15: so like it it rewards the kind of play. So you're just I trying
3: have. to convince other people to play it against you. Exactly. <laughs> That's next level thinking. <laughs> All right, thanks, Chuck. Yep. All right, I am here with Evan, and I realize actually our audience has never met you before. Evan, do you want to introduce yourself?
9: Yeah, uh, my name's Evan Limberger. I'm the new VFX artist here at the Command Zone.
3: Yeah, he's recently joined our VFX team. Evan, do you want to, I don't know, maybe tell them about what's the coolest um, card animation or character animation for one of Game Night's episodes that you've done so far?
9: Sure. So um, in the new uh, holiday episode, yep. um, I did the Atraxa animation. Yeah,
3: very cool. Uh, she pops up from the clouds and yeah. like, yeah, that, that's dope. <laughs> um, so Evan doing some really cool stuff uh, here for us. We're excited to have you. Also a big commander player. We're going to talk about Evan's favorite card from this year. And it is one that is near and dear to my heart. I've gone off with this card, both sides of it in different episodes of Game Nights. Me so, too, yeah. Okay, go ahead.
9: Uh, It's Bergy, God of Storytelling. It's two and a red to play, uh, legendary creature god. Whenever you cast a spell, add red. Until end of turn, you don't lose the mana as steps and phases end. Creatures you control can boast twice during each of your turns rather than once.
3: And she's a 3-3. And she's a 3-3. And she has another side. So you can choose to cast either side of this card as an MDFC. The other side is Harnfell, Horn of Bounty, 4 and a red for a legendary artifact. It says, discard a card, colon, exile the top two cards of your library. You may play those cards this turn. So you can turn one card in your hand into two impulsive drawn impulsively drawn cards.
9: Yeah, it's pretty amazing. (laughs) Yeah, Bergie's
3: a little bit nuts because on one side she provides you with mana whenever you cast a spell, you get extra mana. And on the other side, she provides you with card draw. And those are the two biggest staple effects in the format that we want. Um, Why is this your favorite card of 2021?
9: I like it uh, just because it kind of... So she's one of my commanders for one of my decks I have. And um, I like the fact that I can either storm off with one side of her or if i need to dig further into my deck i can always play the artifact side of her um and i think the the artifact side is um a great way to dig for answers mm-hmm. um ones that i need if i'm in a tight spot <laughs> they also bo- for
3: storm specifically both mm-hmm. sides kind of help you in different situations so oh, yeah. if you have um if you're storm in the middle of storming off and you kind of hit cuz most storm decks want to cast a bunch of spells that are cantrips mm-hmm. And that can sometimes work out where it draws you into the cards you need, but also you can hit a gut of lands and it kind of stops you. So then the other side could help you discard those lands to get real cards. Oh, yeah. But a lot of times in Storm Decks, you actually just want the extra mana as you're casting the spells to just continue to cast more spells. Mm -hmm. So you can do that if that's the situation you're in. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, so that part is, I've found that to be extremely powerful. and, And you can often get into situations with Bergy where every time you cast a spell, it's either free or you're actually gaining mana. Oh, Yeah. And that's when you know that you're real. Like your opponents are in trouble. right? Yeah,
9: especially if like a like a ruby medallion or like something to to cut the costs of your red spells. <laughs> yeah, if
3: you have her and a ruby medallion out, now all of a sudden anything you cast that's two or less, you're gaining mana on exactly, it, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is a pretty nutty situation to be in. Um, that's that's. I mean, it's obviously a, like a very very powerful card. Which side of the card would you say that you play the most often?
9: So I actually built a deck based on the horn side, the oh. artifact side. Um, so a lot of, like, uh, discard effects, uh, rummaging, and... Um, uh, uh, madness and stuff, stuff oh like yeah, that. Oh, yeah, madness, and, like, um, there's, like, brawlins in it. Um, so a lot of, like, uh, pingers. Or, so
3: your deck is actually built a, uh, on the horn side.
9: Uh, it started as Bergy, and then it switched to Oh, <laughs>
3: <laughs> but that so when you said I have a deck with her as the commander, it's built around the horn. Oh yeah. Oh, that's mm-hmm. interesting because I've seen most decks I've seen are built around the other the side. storm side of it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So she's often better in the ninety nine, I'd say, on the front side. Oh yeah, because yeah. you want blue in a lot of those decks that are going to storm off a little more. That's interesting to see that the the horn side. Yeah, this is a very cool card. Came out in K-
9: Kaldheim? Yeah. Beginning of the year.
3: Yeah. So <laughs> it's easy to forget about these cards. This is one I think I don't think we have forgotten about. Like I know that, it's
9: crazy that this came out a year ago it doesn't seem like it's been a year
3: <laughs> i feel like red has just really in the last like two or three years come so far with dockside and the bergies and the underworld breaches and the mm-hmm. jessica's wills red is like it's, vying for like one of the most powerful colors now
9: it's pretty good right now <laughs> yeah it's pretty storm
3: artist is another one from this year yep so very cool card all right evan well thanks for joining us
9: yeah thanks for having me Okay,
3: well, that's uh, all the team members that we are going to hear from on this episode. So many good
2: cards out there. Yeah, there's
3: literally stuff that I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that.
2: (laughs) I mean, You Find Some Prisoners is one of my personal favorites. I think that card is just awesome, and it's so flavorful, too. I love it. So
3: hopefully you all heard some cards maybe that you'd forgotten about as well. Maybe stuff that you want to slot into your decks, but of course mm-hmm. we're not going to leave this episode without Jimmy and I, Yeah, you know, throwing our two cents in here <laughs> and talking about what we
2: think uh, are our favorite cards from this year. Jimmy, uh, why don't you go first? Sure. So I think one of my favorite cards is uh, from modern horizons. It's damn. Uh, it's just such a cool, it's right. Damn nation was a card that exists for yep. a long time. And this is a card that white and black just is get, they get all the goodies when it comes to removal. So I love the flavor of the card. I love how it looks. The art, uh, I, I particularly love it because I have the sort of like the different frame version that I'm going to be putting to a lot of decks. Mm. But that one is is really awesome for me, and I would say also. Um, uh- it's just great to have the ability to have removal and boar wipe on the same card. It, it, in any black and white deck, this is a two-for-one of a card in your deck just instantly.
3: Let me read it real quick in case people don't know what it is. It's black black for a sorcery. says destroy target creature. A creature destroyed this way can't be re- regenerated, And but it has overload for two white white. So if you, uh, you may cast this for its overload cost if you do change its text by replacing all instances of target with each. Yep. So it's dam which is kill one creature. Or it becomes damnation slash wrath of God. Yeah. Uh, if you pay the two white white, which is yeah. the wrath of God,
2: and cost. the regular cost, is not like it's more. And black black for a single removal spell is totally acceptable too.
3: Yeah, this is going in every Orzhov deck or every deck that has those colors forever because, <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> so such, flexible. Yeah, the fa- the the change that occurs when it's like board wipe versus single target removal on a board wipe. Yeah. So much more useful.
2: Yeah. It's going to be a little tough if you're playing like a five-color deck because you have to have black, black, or white, white. But if it's Ordrov and you're not playing this card, damn, you're making a mistake. Damn. (laughs) It also gives me an excuse to say damn all the time on the show.
3: (laughs) There are a lot of cards that I I considered here, and there's some honorable mentions from uh, our team members Mm -hmm. as well. And I'll rattle off a few just so we don't forget about all of them. Meat Hook Massacre, another really good board wipe this year Mm -hmm. on an enchantment that turns into kind of a blood artist it's yeah. kind of crazy yeah circle of dreams druid this is a cradle a guy's cradle. cradle on a creature and how we we haven't talked about it that much it just shows how many cards came out this year um there's storm kiln artist which i've found to be insane creates yeah. a treasure token we cast instants and sorceries urza saga what oh. a powerhouse of a
2: card in every single format you can play it in it's just like hello it's me urza saga yeah, would you like to go find your soul ring yes yes yeah, i yeah, would yeah uh archaeomancer's map pretty good for white
3: welcoming vampire these are two very good white cards one is rampant card draw the other is just card draw um endurance is a card i've seen a lot which you can flash in and get rid of people's graveyards and really hose graveyard strategies and there's so many of those none of those are the cards i'm going to name
2: so i totally cheated i also want to shout out the new enemy uh, fast lands or slow slow lands yeah just another perfect land for commander exactly what we need uh, so I'm going to say as mine though, uh, Esper Sentinel. Ah, uh, big surprise there. Big Josh. surprise. The it's card, a white card.
3: Just kidding. The <laughs> card that draws cards. Uh, white has had a really good year when you consider yeah. Esper Sentinel, welcoming vampire, our K.O. Master's map, all yeah. very strong, staple cards in white. I think we've been asking that for a long time, but Esper Sentinel stands above those other ones to me in that it's so efficient mm-hmm. and it is just so good at doing what it does. I don't think it's equivalent to like uh, a mystic remora or a Rhystic study in that, um, It is only non-creature, but it also only costs one. And it's
2: one time per per turn as well.
3: Yeah, so it's limited a little bit. But it does its job. It totally... You play it, and you're going to draw you know, two, three, sometimes four, five, six cards off of it. And I think, you know, comparing it to those other cards can hurt how you really evaluate it. uh, The fact that you
2: can even compare it, I think, is a compliment.
3: Right. (laughs) It's one mana, so it it comes down early. It doesn't have a cumulative upkeep or anything like that. And it will draw you cards. I've never seen a game where Esper Sentinel gets played and just nobody draws any cards off of it. It does happen. People don't like removing it either right and you're in white so it's often easy to augment it to put a sword on it or something and now it's really hard to pay the cost and then you're really going to draw some cards so uh, i've just found that card to be excellent every time that it hits the table whether it's on my battlefield or my opponents uh and so and and i love that it's
2: in white it's just something white really really has needed so and rfx energies too if you care about that so it definitely is a powerhouse white needs it uh, so badly. Yep. And I think they've done a
3: really good job this year, not just with white, but with all the cards, you know, of the stuff we talked about, there were so many cool cards, mm-hmm. so many interesting effects and not a ton of like insanely
2: broken stuff. I mean, there's been yep. some obviously, but I think they've they've hit a pretty good s- sweet spot this year. So. Especially because they released so many cards. Yeah. You would think, right, in the cards that they released the most, you'd have the most, like, why did they do that? But right. we somehow managed to dodge, I think, almost all of that, which is definitely a testament to the design team and a testament to Commander players because they're the reason that all these cards are getting printed. Tomorrow yep. says much, so.
3: Alright, to the listeners, what is your personal favorite card from 2021 for Commander? We'd love one. to hear in the comments. <laughs> uh, as it, You can agree with us or somebody on our team and one of the cards we said but if you especially if you have a card that was not mentioned at all in the show
2: we'd love to hear about it yeah definitely and if you want to pick up any of the cards that we talked about today well you better head on over to channelfireball.com command or use the code command at checkout uh, also if you watch the holiday bling miss game nights episode those decks you have a chance to win them as well off of a uh, ebay thing that channel fireball is doing all of the proceeds go to no kids hungry which is a foundation trying to stop child hunger in the united states so all good things many many fun things And many, many shiny things because it is that time of year. So, support the show, use promo code COMMAND at Channel Fireball. Yeah. To the
3: yeah, if you do want to try and buy the decks or auction, uh, enter the auction for the decks we played on game nights, that's, that's going to be on eBay and those links will be in the show notes. Uh, one thing we didn't mention is also all the players in that game, so me and Jimmy, Aaron, and Olivia all signed all the commanders. So, oh, yeah. yeah that's extra, cool thing value. extra value. Extra <laughs> or, value. Uh, or extra damage da- cards, d- but d- only damages. one of them. Not all the masterpieces are signed. Yeah, don't exactly, worry. Exactly. We don't want to damage all of <laughs> Uh And then, of course, Big thanks to Ultra Pro for supporting all of our content and big thanks to Ultra Pro personally for protecting all of my game pieces. Thank you, Ultra Pro. Yeah.
2: You're the real Santa Claus. <laughs> they
3: really do keep all your cards safe. They have the best products to protect all of your stuff. They make awesome playmats. They get the IP from Wizards so that we know like Neon yeah. Dynasty is right around the corner. So Neon Dynasty artworks, from what little we've seen so far, looks amazing. And you know playmats. they're going to have playmats, Woo! sleeves, deck boxes with all of that stuff. They always do really make the coolest coolest stuff. Mm-hmm. So can't thank Ultra Pro enough
2: for supporting all of our content. Yeah, protects from snow and coal. Perfect for the holidays.
3: <laughs> snow and coal. Yeah, exactly. right, have you been a naughty boy, Jimmy? Uh, I've, uh, yeah, I played
2: a lot of bad
3: cards this year. That's probably why. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now it's time for the end step where we talk about something cool outside the world of magic. And we have something cool today. I'm excited for this one. I, I didn't even know it was out. Yeah, uh, I, well, I just talked to John a couple days ago and that's how I found out. So okay. John Salmon, who uh, is an old friend of ours and even an older friend
2: of Jimmy's. Yep. He, he was is, the DP for Video Game High School back in the day and he's worked with us on some magic stuff here.
3: At yep, Command Zone. he's a cinematographer, director of photography, D-O-P-D-P, depending on what region of the world you're in. Yeah. Uh, very talented guy, has helped um, shoot a lot of stuff here at Command Zone, like the uh, the Tavern. Yeah. D D&D thing D&D set, the strict haven yeah. college videos mm-hmm. um so john and video game high school like you said yeah. um, so john actually worked on a documentary over the past couple of years and it's a, it's really interesting because it's called set first of all S E T. I think explanation mark mm-hmm. it's on discovery plus their okay. streaming service and it is about get this sure. yeah competitive table setting
2: wait I'm sorry, table setting? Yeah, so there's this whole... Like, what we have in front, like, someone setting the table?
3: Yeah, there's this whole, like, world, and I don't know if you've ever been to, like, a a county fair or something? Yeah, yeah. And they will have, like, the prize for the best, like, biggest potato and all kinds (laughs) of stuff. Well, there's a section that's table setting, so people go and they set a table around a theme, and we're talking, like, plates, plates and silverware and everything, and they do it up like crazy, and they, you know, win... Prize is just like, you know, first, second, third, best in show, that kind of stuff. And um, so it follows around a lot of people who are kind of big in that world as they (laughs) move towards a big fairground. uh, It's like a
2: big competition. uh, Yeah, exactly. And it's
3: it's fascinating. Uh, Wow. As I was watching it, you start off and you're like, these people are crazy. And then...
2: (laughs) That's how most documentary, like, you're like, ah, I can't believe they're doing this.
3: Yeah, I was watching with my girlfriend. and You know, of course, we're like laughing kind of yeah. at the people. And, I, you know, it's a little shameful to admit, but that's just human nature. But then, you know, five or ten minutes in, I'm like, you know what? They're not that different than like magic players. People would laugh right. at us for like spending money on our cardboard or assembling the only masterpiece deck and right, how, much, right, how, right. how hard <laughs> that is. And I'm like, I'm not that different from these people. And then, you know, even farther into the documentary, no. you're like, you kind of start to like root for them. Yeah, and yeah, you're yeah. like, you know, and, and it's, and they've got so much invested, but you're like, yeah, I'm like that about things yep. that other people would call weird. You're like, that's a beautiful table setting. I, they got scammed. They should have won. Oh, at the end, we were definitely like rooting for certain people and didn't want certain people to oh, win. Yeah. And like, I won't ruin it. But set, uh, it's 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 actually kind of riveting i liked it i enjoyed it quite a bit well
2: i love shows like great british bake-off and i love all things that have like they're more quaint in nature it feels like so this feels like something up up that alley
3: yeah so on discovery plus uh if you have it definitely worth
2: checking out again it's called set that's amazing well uh, documentaries are some of my favorite things to watch so i'll have to check it out all right big thanks to our amazing team here at the command zone everyone that was featured on today's episode as well as everyone that isn't so Arthur Melchroft, Lady Danger, Manson Lund, Craig Blanchett, Ashlyn Rose, Josh Murphy, Jake Boss, Patrick Dan, Jordan Bridgins, Sam Walder, Garv, Galati, Truck Ty, Jamie Block, Damon Lens, Shauna Gillis, and Evan Limberger. Woo! Woo! All the way around the sun, everyone here. <laughs> wow! Incredible thanks everyone we appreciate you all and big thanks as always to jeffrey palmer he does the living card animations that often start uh that always start our show on youtube.com slash commands podcast and sometimes behind us here on set
3: yeah you can find jeffrey on twitter at living Cards and just want to say a big happy holidays to Yay. everyone out there uh we will be having uh another episode next week but then it'll be new year's and then
2: uh i'm excited for what 2022 is going to bring it'll be a big one stay warm stay safe and keep your loved ones close by. peace bye everyone